Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Friday, September 16th, and this is episode number 184. My name is Justin Kuhn. I'm your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium, finds the best risk-reward investment opportunities in the space, and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Good to be back with you guys again today. Uh, ending out the week and another day down, although not as bad as yesterday, did see a bit of dip buying happen in today. Are seeing a bit of positive divergence happening in the RSI and the charts. We'll look at that in just a moment. Have a couple of very interesting points to bring up in the mailbag section today. Some pieces of news that came in this morning that I think are very noteworthy and telling of certain trends right now in the uranium market. Stuff that I've talked about a lot, but these are these elements are, are highlighting and supporting what we've been discussing over the past few months, especially in terms of a bifurcated market. Before we do that, we're going to go into the daily scoreboard here and look at the stats for the spot flows, the spot market uh, movement, and the ETF flows. I want to also remind everybody that we are now two weeks away from the month of October. That is not only the start of Q4 and typically the strong period, the strongest period of the year strongest quarter of the year, I should say, for the uranium stocks, for the price of uranium, historically speaking. And I think this year is not going to be any exception to that trend. Also starting in October, this daily podcast, as I mentioned before, is going to be available only to paying members of the Uranium Insider Pro newsletter. Now, I will continue to do a weekly uh, free podcast that will go out on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, as we have been for the past year, um, just about every day. So that weekly podcast will continue and that will be free to anybody who does not want to join. If you do want to continue to get daily updates from me, and of course these daily updates, now that they will be going only to our paying members, are going to be able to get deep into the sector, some uh, some more high-level data that I typically do not share in this free podcast, as well as I will be able to discuss some companies in specific uh, especially the companies that we own and recommend in our focus list for the newsletter. So that will begin the first week of October. Uh, Monday, I believe it's October 3rd, will be the first day of the daily podcast for paying members of the Uranium Insider Pro newsletter. And that is a way for me to say big thank you to everyone who is supporting us. I really, really do appreciate it. And it's not just me. I have a small team behind me. Um, that is has been very consistent, very helpful in putting out the product that we are very proud of. I also want to remind all of our members that Monday, this coming Monday, is our September monthly webinar. I've teased this a bit on this podcast. Um, you know, I most of these months, these webinars, I, I always look forward to these because we really get to dive in. It's a great kind of community event. Um, we get to answer questions directly from our members, which is, uh, I, I think, very, very valuable to members of Uranium Insider Pro. Um, and we also, most months, have a guest. Now, most of the time we have a CEO or a member of the management team of one of the companies that we recommend. Sometimes we have um, just members of, let's say, the nuclear industry. In July, we had Per Jander from WMC Energy. He's the director of that company, and they are the nuclear fuel product traders that go out into the market and buy uranium for the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. So he had, he had and has some very high level information, very keen insights into what's going on in the background in this nuclear fuel cycle and in the nuclear fuel products and services markets. It's 
absolutely imperative to understand this. Um, there was a recent article that came out. I've, I apologize. I don't remember the gentleman's name. Um, he, he kind of basically said there's plenty of uranium out there. Therefore, there's no bull thesis. And um, I'm, I'm not going to um, be too harsh on this person because I think that he made a lot of interesting points. But the, the biggest thing that I can say, and I'm only mentioning this because a lot of people came to me saying, Justin, you want to refute this? Or you want to, you know, or do you want to, what are your thoughts on this article? And I mean, just to say very in brief and as kindly as possible, this, this person just does not understand the fuel cycle and you have to understand the fuel cycle. It's like, okay, there's plenty of uranium out there. Well, why has the price gone from 18 bucks a pound to $50 a pound in the past, you know, five years that doesn't happen in an oversupplied market. That doesn't happen in a market where there's a glut of uranium. And yes, there's uranium in my backyard. There's uranium in your backyard. There's uranium in ocean water. There's uranium in phosphate tails. There's uranium everywhere. It's a very, very abundant mineral. But mining is difficult, expensive, and you have to have significant grades and a cost structure to support the extraction extraction of said uranium. So um, just the fact that there is a lot of uranium, I mean, look, there's a billion pounds, according to the USGS, is in, in the Arizona Strip in the United States. Will that ever be mined? Probably not. That doesn't mean that the uranium price will never go up because there's a billion pounds in the Arizona Strip. Uh, so this, this article made some interesting points, and you know what? It makes a market. I, I absolutely welcome bare theses, and there certainly are relevant bare theses out there. Um, in my opinion, most of them are not uh, justified for not being enthusiastically long for what, in my opinion, is about to happen in this market. So all of that said, Monday's webinar is an important one. This is a very a big turning point in this market, not only because of the bifurcation, I'll talk a bit about more about that in the mailbag section, and I mentioned that multiple times over multiple months on this podcast but this person that we will be interviewing in the members webinar on Monday um, is just back from the WNA and has possibly as, as, as good of an insight into these markets as anyone in this, in the, in the nuclear industry or in the uranium industry, let's say. So not only is back from WNA with some keen insights from that experience in that conference, but um, he also will have some unique uh, some unique perspectives on what exactly is going on in the back end of the fuel cycle and in particular with long-term contracting. So very much looking forward to that. If you are a member, I look forward to seeing you there. If you can't attend due to uh, conflicts in scheduling, that will be recorded and you can watch it later uh, later in the day. We typically will post the replay for the webinars within about four to six hours. It takes a very long time, time to um, process, download, edit, re-upload. So typically it's about six hours after the webinar, we'll have that posted to the website. If you are not a web, uh, member and you want to attend this webinar, you can join over the weekend. We do have a quarterly option that is uh, uh, less of a, of a monetary commitment or time commitment, and you'll be able to attend this webinar. I think these webinars are a huge value add. All right, enough with, uh, with the uh, homework and the uh, housekeeping. Let's go ahead and jump into the daily scoreboard here. Spot price of uranium, $47.25 a pound, down over $2 a pound. Now, this is interesting. This is a big jump. Has a lot of people kind of panicking. And if you are panicked about this, go back and watch yesterday's episode, episode number 183. The spot price doesn't matter, but it really matters. That was the title of the episode. And essentially, the ups and downs of the spot price on a daily basis are pretty kind of irrelevant when it comes to signaling towards what... Uh, towards a, towards a, a accurate picture of supply and demand. Okay. So 
you can't say, Justin, you, you're talking about a 40 plus million pound deficit in supply this year. Why is the spot price going down today? That's not an intelligent question to ask. Um, you have to you have to consider all of the elements of the fuel cycle. Who's actually in the spot market buying and selling? Now, the spot is the majority of the spot market at this point. And while the spot market really matters because it not only is it visible for the investing community, but it dictates the market reference portion of long-term contracts. But these daily moves are really not all that relevant. So for, for the price to move up or down a dollar, two dollars, three dollars at a time, that literally could be a single buyer on the, on the upside. So that could be spot coming in for uh, you know 500,000 pounds. It could move the price up one or two dollars in a day. Alternatively, right now, you could have one motivated seller. We're seeing risk off across the market. Somebody might be holding some pounds under the books and wanting to dump them. One motivated seller trying to sell a few hundred thousand pounds and there's no buyer. Okay. Sput's sitting on 16, 17 million pounds of, uh, excuse me, six, 17 million dollars in their treasury. They're probably not going to spend any more of that in uranium. So if nobody else right now is, is, is on the ask, they might just keep dropping the price. That doesn't mean anything. It's not a negation of a thesis. It doesn't mean that there actually isn't a supply deficit. So you have to understand these things in order to know how to react to them or not. Um, you know, the biggest downside to these price movements are just the, the investment community, you know, panics around it and the, and the weak hands will, will possibly sell. Maybe there's a little of that today, but it's, it's actually basically a non-event. Um, Sput obviously did not raise any cash yesterday, but the uh, discount to NAV widened a bit to 2.95%. They did also did not buy any pounds of uranium. Interestingly enough, the Sput Trust traded down only 1% today with the big drop in spot price. So they actually closed the day likely at a significant premium to NAV. What does that mean? If that sticks on Monday, they're probably going to be issuing shares into the market and buying more uranium with that raised cash. It's possible they even raise some cash today. We'll find out in about an hour and a half from the uh, recording time of this recording. Like I said, they're sitting on, let's see, 16.9 million in cash. Equity ETFs, neither URA nor URNM reported any changes in outstanding shares. Uh, like I said yesterday, the sector got pretty beat up in concert with the broad market. Um, huge downdrafts there. Today, the equities uh, slid again, although a lot of hammers out there. So on that note, why don't we take a look at the charts? URA, uh, excuse me, here we go. URA down a little over 2% on the day, did print somewhat of a hammer, although did not close at the highs of the day. Gap down on the open. This big gap that I noted on the on the, on the the gap up on that Japanese news, we're not far away from that. And gun to my, gun to my head, I think it fills. We are now pulling down to that 50-day moving average. Uh, closing below for the second day in a row, that 200-day moving average that's trying to flatten out. We still have this uh, lower trend line from this Livermore accumulation cylinder in play. And I think if the markets continue to go risk off, we will see these slide a bit more. Will they? I don't know. If we actually go ahead and chart the S&P, I want to show some pretty significant um, positive divergence on the RSI. That's no guarantee, but in my opinion, typically, this type of divergence on a daily chart will equal some kind of positive support in, in, the, in, in terms of a positive divergence on the RSI. So this, along with this hammer candle that was printed today, likely means a short-term bottom. That could be for a day or two, maybe a week. I think it's possible 
that we slide a bit more from here in the broad markets, although we probably are going to make a higher low from June. With all of that said, of course, we focus on uranium because that is what we know and understand. And we are really talking about looking at this for the long term, this long term trade for us. Even though we look at these daily charts to kind of gauge where we're at, this is long term trade. So these ups and downs, pretty meaningless, in my opinion, for me as a contrarian investor wanting to stay on this ride for the long term. URNM relative to the spot price of uranium. Now, this is a basket of uranium miners compared to the actual commodity itself. Continuing to kind of chop sideways, uh, printing looks like somewhat of a flag pattern here over the past couple of weeks. We also do have this gap on that Japanese news. Will that fill? I don't know. Uh, obviously, the uranium equities have sold off for the past couple of days, but the spot price has fallen as well. So in line with that trend, at least for the short term, for the time being. Cameco selling off over 3% on the day, though some dip buying did happen throughout the day. Broke down, uh, closing below the 20-day moving average, still well above that rising 200-day and even further above that trend line that has been intact for two years now. Um, this chart is very, very strong. Nice to see some dip buying come in. We do have a bit of support um, right around this 25, uh, 2590, 26 level here. So if we sell off further, that could be a place to start looking to get long. Overall, looking at these charts, I don't see screaming buys here for the short term. I do think it's possible we see a bit of risk off. But as I'm going to share with you in just one moment, this really is... Um, this is a, a, we're coming up on a very, very strong season for uranium. And with that said, understanding what's happening in the fuel cycle could add some gasoline to that fire. All of that said, we are still buckled, uh, at least somewhat sometimes to the effects of the broad market. Like I mentioned uh, yesterday, this was looking like a bear flag. And indeed we did break down below that URA relative to the S and P URA underperforming the S and P slightly today. Um, this pulled down to the 20-day, really not a, a trend here. Still well above that 200-day that is making an effort to get back to rising. Spot traded down only 1% on the day with a big, fat, beautiful hammer, uh, closing above right at that 20-day moving average, still above that rising 200-day. This is a relatively strong chart. If this chops sideways for a bit longer, we could be printing somewhat of a flag here, a bullish flag. That remains to be seen. I do think... Um, that this chart going forward is going to stay closer to NAV. This, this trust is going to stay closer to NAV. Therefore, it's likely going to move along with the spot price of uranium. I don't see a huge amount of downside here to the spot price, even though we've seen uh, come off a few dollars over the past few days. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, we see another five to ten percent down in spot price if this motivated seller or sellers continues to lower, lower their, uh, lower their ask. Um, you know, uh, we have to see some buyers step in in order to, to fix that. And that will happen. But the upside here, this is, this is the risk reward play, right? Is the spud vehicle, because if it trades decently close to nav, which it does most of the time, and we went risk off for a couple of months during the summertime where we were down around 10% discount to nav, uh, on average, uh, it peaked out at, I think it was 16 or 17% discount to nav. And that was a big buying opportunity. In fact, I think that was this low point. This is uh, mid July. With that said, what is the upside potential here? In my opinion, it's practical guarantee that this commodity is going to go, uh, you know, 90 to hundred dollars a pound. So we're looking at, you know, um, and guarantee there are no guarantees, right? Anything could happen, but 
Um, you know, we're talking about the marginal cost of production here when we when we look at uranium, uh, physical uranium in the spot market price targets. And I think that that's a very, very strong case to be made that the the least that we need to rise to is that 90 to $100 range at this point. And of course, I believe it's going to go much higher than that due to speculation. Um, you know, all it takes is a couple of, of, of whales to corner this market and they can seriously move the spot price um, in, a, in a way that I don't think any of us are even considering is possible. But believe me, it absolutely is. And these guys can get very aggressive if they really wanted to uh, move something like this. All right. Mailbag section today. So the first story I want to highlight uh, comes from, uh, let's see, this is BNE News. Um, and this is Czechia and Slovakia accelerate decoupling from decades long nuclear partnership with Moscow. So I want to highlight this article because these two states that, um, you know, in our modeling, we consider as Western, uh, they are are now officially cutting themselves off from, from, from collaborative ties with Russia that have been going on for more than 60 years. Okay, let me find this, this piece. As of December 31, this is a quote from the uh, Czech Ministry of Education. As of December 31st of this year, Czech Republic ends its 66 years long membership with the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research, where the Russian Federation is the dominant member and on whose territory this international organization resides. So these two countries, which do have nuclear, are now saying starting in 2024, they will no longer be getting uh, nuclear fuel from Russia nor will they be collaborating with Russia in this uh, particular uh, joint nuclear research um, entity. What else is this saying? CEZ, Chechia's uh, largely state-owned electric utility, announced it would obtain its fuel supplies for its Temlin nuclear power plant from Westinghouse or France's Framatome starting in 2024. Okay, so two more countries that are uh, considered Western as far as our, our modeling goes for supply and demand are now officially stating they're breaking free from, from their collaborative work with Russia in nuclear and from sourcing their nuclear fuel from Russia. So this is a very important thing to continue to, uh, to drive home that this bifurcation that we've talked about for months now and looks to be continuing is definitely continuing, at least as of now, and it is likely to going forward. Um, countries in the West that are allied to the West are not really pulling back on this. And this is a this is a positive thing in terms of the thesis for this accelerant to um, the uranium long thesis and the movement of the commodity because of I've stated this 100 times, you can go back and watch further episodes in the past, or you can attend our webinar on Monday, we're going to drill down on this even more. Um, you know, the West is the majority of nuclear generation in the world, it's about 70%. And Russia is a 40% player in enrichment and 30 something percent uh, conversion. And so that is shifting and that's shifting quickly. And now the West is buying conversion and enrichment contracts for future delivery from Western providers. That is lifting the tails assays for enrichers. Enrichers are overfeeding. Uh, Uranco is out in the market buying uranium. Uranco is a Western enricher. So this is literally happening. This is not theoretical. This is happening right now. So you actually have a Western enricher going out into the market. Um, seeking out, you know, uh, mid long-term contracts for uranium. Incredible, incredible shift. These are the same entities that were supplying the market with uranium last year, okay? Last year. And yes, demand for SWU has risen a bit over the past 12 to 18 months. You go back two years and this one entity, um, you know, if, you, if you're talking about Uranco 
and Arano in terms of their enrichment capacity. Going back two years, they were supplying the market with you know 10, possibly up to 15 million pounds between tails re-enrichment and underfeeding per year. Now these these entities are buyers. Okay, this is such a big swing, and this this story um, of about Chechia, uh, excuse me, and Slovakia making it official. They're done. They're done with Moscow. It uh, continues to compound here. All right, the second story I want to talk about. <clears throat> China approves four more reactors. Okay, so there's uh, four more reactors. They're just over a thousand megawatts apiece. China is on a is, is is absolutely on a tear with their buildouts. So two of these reactors that they've just approved, if you go to the WNA website, which I do all the time, and I suggest that you do as well, still has these reactors in the proposed phase, not even the planning phase. And now China is approving the construction of these reactors. So. Part of the big demand story is China. You know, there's no way, there's no getting around that. Okay. When you're modeling out total global supply and demand, China is an important aspect of that demand, right? So what they continue to do in terms of following through on what they are verbally stating is important to follow. And from what we can tell so far, they absolutely are. For them to get to 200 gigawatts by 2035, they need another 148 gigawatts. (laughs) <laughs> that's another 140 reactors, 150 reactors. Okay. <clears throat> in uh, 13 years, you know, so we're, we're talking, they need to do 10 a year to keep up with that. And they've just stated recently that they have the capacity to do so. So big, big deal. China's also building the world's first SMR right now. I mean, the, as far as advanced nuclear SMR, of course, SMRs have existed for a very, very long time for, you know, the nuclear navies of the world. But um, so they're moving forward gangbusters uh, with with nuclear. So it's it's very, very uh, good to see for the demand story. Last thing I want to share is this really interesting seasonality chart from Cameco. Okay, so this is Cameco seasonality, a 20-year range ending in uh, December of last year. Okay, so this is the, the average movement of this stock month over month. Over the past 20 years. Now, of course, we've seen a big bull market, 2003, 2004, to 2007. And we saw um, a sharp decline that was based on that quote unquote uh, speculative bubble, bubble popping in the uranium price, right? 134 bucks a pound fell back down to the uh, 60s, I believe, started to chug its way back up. And then what do we have? Fukushima. So there's a number of exogenous events that caused the movement of this stock to uh, to, to, to vary, not in terms of its seasonality. Right. And then we saw a very long bear market, but seasonally speaking, this is how this stock moves. Now, look at this. This is really interesting. It starts to move mid August. Now it didn't this year, it started to move in September, big spike in mid September, almost like a fake out, like a head fake, like, okay, it's time. Everybody piles in mid September. Then we pull back, make a higher low and then chug one, two, three months straight sideways January, February, and then another big move mid-February to June. And you know what? We saw a good move this year from February to April, pulled back June, July as, as markets generally went risk off. But so this seasonality is not a guarantee. It's an average. And most years it plays out close to this. Last year we had, uh, it was early and that had a lot to do with sput, right? So we had late August through November was really the strong season. Then we pulled back a bit uh, pull back actually quite a bit, you know, 30 ish percent, maybe even more from late November to about late January is when it bottomed. Um, then we had a really strong market again, February to April. I think it hits this year. I really do. 
And that has mostly to do with my confidence in what's coming for the commodity itself and my understanding of the fuel cycle. And you also have, but why, so why is this seasonally strong during this period of time? I've, I've talked about this multiple times, but it bears repeating. We have WNA conference. So a lot of utilities, a lot of players in the nuclear world go to that conference, get an understanding of what exactly is going on, come back from their summer vacations in that conference. And then they got the new budgets in October, especially for the U.S., and they start to take action. Utilities start to buy. Um, when utilities start to buy, price moves. When the price moves, the equities move. Cameco, obviously, is an equity that oftentimes responds to the price of the commodity itself. So not only do you have utility buying leading to that movement in the price, you also have uh, the, the lowest volume trading across markets in August. So as markets come back from summer vacation, you have risk usually start to be put back on um, for at least a few months. Things slow down in December and you saw that slow down kind of uh, mid to late December, um, typically in the seasonal chart going into January and uh, possibly even into early February. But so these these things tend to move seasonally. You know, I'm sure you've heard the term sell in May and go away. Summers are slow and we come back on in the autumn. Oftentimes that's when things move now. When you couple that typical seasonality with the demand and the price boom we've seen conversion enrichment and the fact that enrichers are actually buying uranium, um, this is coming. So I'm very excited about that. This is kind of a long episode. I wanted to end the week with a bit more information and a bit more, uh, let's say, conversation because the last couple of episodes were a little bit short. I'm very excited about Monday's webinar. I hope to see you there. Um, if not, I will see you again. I'm not going to do a market minute on Monday. So I will be back. Let's see. I guess we'll be back on Tuesday. Tuesday, the 20th will be the next market minute. So have a good long weekend. And um, I hope that you're well. Hope that you survived this week and you hung in there. I actually got a really nice message this morning. Uh, I'll keep the person's name anonymous, but basically thanking me for uh, keeping them in this trade. That they came very, very close to selling at the lows in the summer out of frustration. And they hung on, hung on. And as you know, even with this pullback over the past few days, most of these stocks are up pretty big, um, you know, since the July lows. You know, even URA is up about, you know, 30, 40% since the July lows. So um, this is one of those trades where it, it pays to be a contrarian. And when the markets are, are risk off and when people are panicked and people are have a lot of fear you pretty much want to act in opposite of your emotional state. So all the, there's definitely some fear coming back in the markets right now. I don't think this is a strong time to be buying or selling. Uh, this is a time where I'm holding. If we go risk off and we drop a bit more and make a you know another 5 to 10% drop, I'll probably get about as aggressive as I've ever been on the long side um, going forward because I feel confident in what's coming. All right, be well, take care. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you listening and watching. And I will see you all again on Tuesday. If you are a member of Uranium Insider Pro, I will see you Monday in our September members webinar. Cheers.